in your classroom, you might have a student that just found out she's pregnant, or you might have someone who identifies as a sexual minority that was just kicked out of their house, or you may have a, a, a kid who uh, is, is deciding that, you know, is realizing they're trans. And this is a lot of noise going on. And so those teachers need to be able to recognize this and deal with it, relate to it so that they can start teaching math. The questions surrounding reproductive health do not only happen during a two-week unit. Once, maybe for an awkward hour of my life. These kids are curious and want to know these answers all the time. Our main focus is to educate the educator. Human reproduction. <laughs> um, reproductive health is everything that you are, everything that you do. It is not about sex. It's life. Our kids need this. Hello and welcome to our premiere episode of It's Not Human Sexuality. I'm Dr. Betsy Cairo. And I'm Mandy Johnson. And I'm Hannah Copeland, the podcast producer. Today we're going to get to the roadmap for It's Not Human Sexuality and how Mandy and I are going to cover why our educators need to strip away the stigma surrounding reproductive health and treat it with the same scientific merit that they might treat how the brain works. It's not human sexuality. It's reproductive health and our youth deserve to know how their bodies work so they can stay safe and healthy in all aspects of their lives. And today, Hannah, I'm the podcast producer. I'm going to introduce these women so we can all get to know Mandy and Dr. B for our future episodes. Dr. Betsy has her doctorate in human reproduction and is a board-certified reproductive biologist. She is also a certified sexuality educator with supervisory standing. She owns the only commercial sperm bank in Colorado, and she is the executive director of Look Both Ways, her nonprofit that specializes in reproductive health education, K-12 and beyond. Dr. Betsy has been teaching this topic at the graduate and undergraduate level at two local universities for the past 21 years, just recently retiring about a year ago to spend some more time with her nonprofit. She has written two textbooks, one at the college level, and then paring that one down for the high school edition. In this textbook, she is hoping that she will change the face of reproductive health education. We're excited to have her here today to help us better understand this concept of reproductive health. Welcome, Betsy. Well, welcome. Thanks. Thanks for asking us here. Mandy Johnson is a high school family and consumer science teacher that has been teaching for the last 13 years and is a certified sexuality education teacher. She has had a passion for reproductive health education and after meeting Betsy, was able to design and implement a semester-long class at one of the high schools in Loveland, Colorado. Mandy supports her students through extracurricular programs such as the Gay Straight Alliance and Leadership. This passion is what has geared Mandy to sit down on the board of Look Both Ways and work toward a master's degree in human sexuality education. Hello, Mandy. Hello. So when discussing this topic, I've noticed that you often mention that reproductive health is not human sexuality. Can you elaborate on that and why is that distinction important to you? Sure. Um, the distinction is critical because growing up when I was young, we had the you know dreaded sex ed talk, and it was typically done by a PE teacher. It was typically done with gender segregation, which meant boys here, girls there. We covered you know things like uh, a girl's period, wet dreams for boys, and how to not get a sexually transmitted infection. And then of course we threw in some stuff about. Uh, you know, don't get pregnant. And this, you know, this is a while ago. I'm a lot older now and uh, decades have gone by and we're still doing the same thing. And, and in fact, there has been more of a, um, it hasn't evolved. It is actually devolved because we went through a whole episode of, 
you know, just, just say no to sex. And, and the teachers got behind that. I mean, who wouldn't want to get behind that? You don't have to know anything. You don't have to say anything except don't have sex. So, you know, just say no to sex was pretty popular, but that didn't move us forward. And so the distinction between sex ed and reproductive health is huge because in reproductive health, this is an umbrella term that covers everything. We cover everything from the concept of sex and uh, assigned gender and gender identity, along with um, puberty and adolescence and anatomy and physiology. And, and, you know, we do cover, we do cover contraception and sexually transmitted infections and diseases, but that's just a small portion of it. The other topics are just as important and probably carry more impact than just that. So this distinction is critical. Is reproductive health a relatively new term, or has that been around for a while? This term has been around for a long time, but it's just been it's more and more recently used on a global level, especially when we discuss world issues such as women's health, children's health, uh, healthy pregnancies. We also talk about um, reducing unintended pregnancies, infant mortality, um, and contraception. We also want to look at the uh, reduction of spreading sexually transmitted infections, and it can even uh, get as far reaching as whether or not we should do male circumcision. So we see this term encompass the communities of marginalized populations more than we do in other um, topics. Do you think that changing the name from human sexuality or sex ed to reproductive health will help get this education into schools? Well, yeah, and I think we have proof of that, and and I'd like Mandy to chime in on that, because when we were trying to get this semester-long class into the high schools, they didn't even want us to call it reproductive health, um, so we ended up calling it reproductive development, and I think Mandy can chime in on really what that entailed and why that was important. Yeah, the it, it just seems that when you use the word sexuality or sex, it scares people automatically into thinking what you're trying to teach their kids is how to have sex or something that they're just not not wanting their kids to learn about rather than teaching them about this umbrella concept that covers our whole lives from birth to death. And so reproductive development was a little less scary for the school district because it had the word development in it. It, it was about who we are as people, which that's all reproductive health is anyway, but it's a lot easier to to get these into the schools if you're using language that isn't so threatening to parents and to school boards. Yeah, which is funny because the word health doesn't seem threatening in the slightest. <laughs> and I think, and that's a good point, and I think part of that concept of naming naming it and taking away the reproductive health part of it is I think the phys- physical education department had a, kind of struggled with that too. They didn't want to see health attached to reproduction and have it reflect on their department. And so we sort of had to make that delineation. And so we did because we really wanted to teach the class and it worked. And do you think, you know, health would imply that reproducing or reproducing is a good thing and maybe they didn't want that connected? I think they just didn't want anybody thinking because the word health was in the title that it had anything to do with the PE department. You know, health is a class that all high schoolers tend to take and it usually does come from the PE department and there almost always is a sex ed portion in that that truly is the kind of sex ed that we were talking about that's STIs and and um, anatomy and physiology and contraception and that's it and often taught by a guest lecturer. Hmm. 
Yes. And so so when we were asking to teach something more broad than that and, and to be able to teach about gender and gender identity and, and sexual orientation, uh, some of the other departments just did not want to have their name or department associated with that. Okay, so names matter. And uh, in this podcast, we're going to be exploring a lot of terminology and why that really is important when you're explaining it. So I'd like to touch on your nonprofit, Look Both Ways, Dr. Betsy. Can you just tell us what, shortly, what is um, Look Both Ways? Well, Look Both Ways is a nonprofit that specializes in reproductive health, education, K-12 through and beyond. We do parent workshops. We do conferences for um, youth. We do professional development for anybody, really, that's going to be exposed to youth or people in general. Um, and so that that's our goal. But our main focus is to educate the educator. So while we want to get this class into the classroom as a semester-long curriculum, we don't want to teach it. We want to empower the teacher who's going to be teaching it to do this. We we don't believe in helicopter teaching. Um, helicopter teaching is where we're asked to come in. We, we helicopter in. We we dump our information. Like we a guest speaker. Out. Yeah. And while we'll do it and we have done it and we'll continue to do it, it doesn't, it's a Band-Aid. It doesn't fix it because when we leave, that student in the classroom may have a question two hours later, two weeks later, two months later, and that educator may not be ready to answer the question. That's why we were there. So our goal is to empower through education by educating the educator to deliver this information. It's an interesting title. What does Look Both Ways mean? Look Both Ways was born out of um, uh, an episode where I had just sat through an absence only until marriage uh, presentation. And at the end of the presentation, I said to the the presenter, when your kids were little, did you only teach them to look one way before they crossed the street? And she said, no, of course not. And so at that very moment for me, Look Both Ways was born because comprehensive reproductive health education talks about all aspects of uh, being a sexual being, in addition to the other topics we talked about, but it also talks about abstinence. And so we wanted to teach our kids to look both ways before they step into that street, right? Before they take a chance on um, finding out who they are as a person. We want to make sure that they've seen all all of the oncoming traffic, not just one way. And that's where look both ways um, came from. And that's that's our mission. Why do you think it is important to educate the educator, Mandy? So I've been teaching this topic for 14, 13 years now, and uh, I have a lot of students who are taking their PE health class at the same time as they're taking my class. And I've had students every single year tell me how much more they learn in my class because I'm comfortable teaching about this topic compared to the class where they have a teacher who's not comfortable or they have a guest speaker come in and they don't have any other questions being answered. And the students feel so comfortable learning from me in my classroom because I'm comfortable with the topic, that they learn a lot more, they're open for asking questions, and they get so much more from the from the teaching than they would if I wasn't comfortable doing this. And so we want to empower other teachers to feel this comfortable so that all students have the benefit of, of a teacher who's not just comfortable but also knows what they're talking about. Every day, every day. And also that educator in front of the room is developing a rapport with their students throughout that semester. We can't do that in an hour presentation. And to be able to um, present a very safe, warm, welcoming environment requires that daily 
contact with the students, which is what Mandy brings to the table with her students. And that's the difference. And it's important. The, the other thing that I've also found is that the questions surrounding reproductive health do not only happen during a two-week unit. These questions are coming to me from maybe the second week of class when students actually start feeling comfortable with who I am and that we have a relationship all the way till the end of the semester, even though in the class that I currently teach, I only have a two-week unit covering these topics. These questions are coming up the entire semester. And so it's not a one, you know, a one-shot thing. It's not just a one-day topic. They, these kids are curious and want to know these answers all the time. Because, you know, bullying, sexual identity, eating disorders, relationship issues happen all day long. Right. And so you'd like an educator there who knows how to help and deal with it. It's not like booking entertainment to come into the school and leave. This is someone who needs to be there constantly. Yes. Right. And then going back to your original question, what is Look Both Ways' mission? And when I talked about professional development, understanding that the professional development piece isn't just for the educators that we want to teach this semester-long class. It's also for anybody in that in the school, for instance, you know, anybody, the principal, the guidance counselor, the, the teacher who's teaching math, they need to understand what we call that noise in the back of the room where you want to go in and you want to teach math, but... In your classroom, you might have a student that just found out she's pregnant, or you might have someone who identifies as a sexual minority that was just kicked out of their house, or you may have a a, a kid who uh, is is deciding that you know is realizing they're trans, and this is a lot of noise going on, and so those teachers need to be able to recognize this and deal with it, relate to it, so that they can start teaching math. Do you see how important this is in every classroom? And so it's not just a function of teaching this as a semester-long class, which, of course, is what we're passionate about, but educating all educators to be able to deal with our kids that are going through so much more than we did and getting through that noise so that we can get to the education piece. So let's talk about the textbook. You, you originally wrote this book for the college classes you were teaching, but what was your main goal or did you always know that you're going to pare it down uh, to make it digestible at the high school level? I always knew I was going to pare it down. In fact, that was the condition for writing the textbook. When I was approached um, by the publisher to write the textbook, I only did it on the condition that they would allow me to pare it down and do a high school edition. And they agreed to do that, and they honored their word, and I did do that. And um, the, the college edition uh, came out in 2012 with the second edition in 2014. The high school edition has 10 chapters compared to the 16 with the college edition. Um, the high school edition was first published in 2013 with a revised printing in 2016. And now I'm currently working on a second edition, which will hopefully come out in um, August of this year. Mandy, have you gotten to use this textbook? I have. Uh, so Betsy and I actually were able to pilot two semesters of a reproductive development class at the high school I was teaching at here in Loveland. And the second semester or the second pilot class, we were able to use the textbook. And it was it was phenomenal. The kids loved this book. Um, on the first day of class, we had the kids go through and like just read the, the description of the chapters and kind of dive into what the book was going to be about. And they were so excited. They were already putting tabs in their textbook and they were asking on the very first day of class, can we take these home? Are we allowed to bring these home with us? Um, 
I had students in the semester tell me this is the first time, and these are seniors, juniors and seniors in high school, and I had students telling me that this is the first time they'd ever picked up and actually read a textbook that was assigned to them. Um, They were going home and sharing it with their parents and telling their parents about the textbook and saying, look at this chapter over here. Um, No joke, kids were taking their textbook home every night and bringing it back to class every day. I mean, who does that? For real with textbooks in high school like i didn't kids don't take textbooks home even when they're assigned a homework assignment from that textbook you know but they were they were excited to take this book home and they would come back to school with it highlighted you could see that they were reading it at home and and really diving into the material sometimes they'd come in with these questions you're like wow oh my god they actually they're reading this um and it's it was very cool to watch it was very cool to watch and it was um it was reaffirming that this is definitely the avenue we're going. And, and the importance of the textbook is, is that it makes it real, right? We, it's not an after-school program that is coming in. This is a real curriculum, textbook, lecture from the chapters kind of book. And it's real. And, it, and it, give, it lends all that credibility to this topic. And we really want that to be understood and, and to be explored and to have districts and, and, and school systems to look at that and say, yeah, this is real. This is one of a kind. So clearly this book is effective. It's unique. I'm curious, what does it take as a writer to get your textbook in a high school? Well, tell me that story. Oh, which one? I mean, there's a lot of stories, but what does it take to get it into the schools? Well, one of the things that Look Both Ways has always been about, with, and especially with respect to this textbook, is money. And we are a very tiny nonprofit, but we do not think that money and education should be in the same sentence, but they always are. And so if uh, a district isn't uh, put off by the fact that it's reproductive health, then their next thing is time and money. So we say, well, okay, let's help you with the money. Issues. So what we do is we do fundraisers to raise enough money to buy the textbooks for the schools, right? So that takes that argument out of the place. And then they say time. We say, well, you know, this is a modular system. The book is designed in a three-ring uh, binder format. It is, it's titled Reproductive Health, the Biology, Psychology, and Sociology of Being. So we know that it fits in all of those chapters of education. And so we try to be creative with it. Well, you could have a biology and a psychology teacher team teach it. Or um, you could um, have like what Mandy did. She's a family and consumer science teacher. When it's a very good fit there, teach the whole thing because that's definitely where they're you know experienced. So we try to be creative with the districts. But really the biggest, biggest stumbling block is topic. You know, how is this going to be received? They're worried they're going to get phone calls. They're going to worried they're going to have an angry uh, parent population. And we've tried to explain to them that that just doesn't happen. Now, I would say another stumbling block of getting it into the, the schools is finding that teacher, finding the yeah. person that's willing to to take it on at the school and, and willing to, to fight for it and to teach this. Um, and I think we're going to find those teachers. Um, we're being approached by educators who want to be inspired again, who who want this in the school district. And they're finding, you know, it's it's hard work it takes it took us two and a half years to get this class actually approved and so we're actually being approached by educators who are now saying i want to i want to get on this i want to fight the the fight and do this it sounds inspiring and necessary can you tell me about a particular educator uh, maybe a story of someone you remember coming up to you and saying i want this i need this i can um 
I don't want to give any names, but um, this teacher met with me. We looked at the curriculum. Um, we talked about it. She was explaining that they're looking at doing a new – they were putting it under health, and I'm fine with that. You can put it anywhere. We'll, we'll make it fit anywhere. So they were going to – it was happened to be in the health section, which I was fine with. So we talked about what that would look like for her school um, and – you know, where do we go from here? And so she emailed me back and said that she had started the ball rolling and had, you know, met with some people. And then her last line was, thank you for making me feel inspired again. And so I think that that's, that's a reaffirming for us that we're, we're, this is the right thing. Our kids need this. Suicide is the third leading cause of death in kids 15 to 24. It shouldn't even be on the list. And what people don't understand is that a lot of the topics that we teach help kids normalize what's going on with them. And so they don't feel like they're a freak or they're an outsider or they're different or their days are so dark that killing themselves is the only answer. And that's one of the reasons we do this. This book is clearly one of its kind. Um, it's, it's working. What sets it apart from other textbooks out there? I, I would say that one of the biggest things that sets it apart is its its topic. I have a lot of textbooks for my classroom, and I've looked at a lot of textbooks over my 13 years of education, and they all have a chapter or two covering reproductive health. There's a chapter on contraception, a con chapter on STIs, chapter on teen pregnancy, um, but they're chapters in a book about health overall where this this book focuses on reproductive health all the way through and every aspect of it. Um, it's also unique in that it, it, it's a high school textbook that talks to students like they're adults and it, and it assumes that they have an understanding or are ready for a level of understanding that many people don't give teenagers credit for. Um, one of the things that's really cool, just another kind of story about the textbook is at the end of our semester, the kids kept their textbooks. So look both ways, donated these textbooks to my classroom and um, not only did we save that money, but these textbooks were actually used. We had a student just last weekend contact us on Facebook and say, I still have your textbook. And this has been six years since she was in our class. And she still has our textbook. It's still in a place that she knows where it's at. Um, I have a 13-year-old daughter who has been kind of on this journey with us and, and um helps with look both ways in a lot of in a lot of different avenues. And she recently opened the textbook, started flipping through it and said, Mom, can I have a copy of this book? Can I can I keep this book and like just read it for fun? <laughs> and then that I wish I was kidding. This is not a joke. This happened about a month ago. And she actually has this book in her room and she's quote unquote reading it for fun in her spare time. Because it's interesting. Like kids want to know this stuff. And that that I think makes it unique in a textbook is that kids want to read it. It's got information that they're dying to learn about. And somebody is finally giving them a source, a reliable source to get that information. Is it tough to convince parents to let their kids read this book and keep this book? Um, I grew up in Kansas and I remember kids were always um, being pulled out of sex ed or we'll teach this at home. Um, it's sex ed where I grew up. I think I remember one day in sixth grade once, maybe for an awkward hour of my life. And then the same thing in fifth grade. Um, I don't think a lot of parents where I grew up would have wanted their kids to have access to a book like this. So do you uh, do you have to overcome the obstacle of parents wanting to keep this information from their kids? 
We do, but I think when you look at when you look at statistics and you and and all these when these polls are done, most parents want this taught and they do want it taught in the schools. And you're always going to have outliers. You are. You're going to have people that are like, nope, my kid is going to learn this through me, by me, at home. And I'm okay with that, right? Because truly, we don't want to get in the way of that. That's why this class is is often um, presented as an elective, right? So if you don't want your kid to have this class, then don't have them sign up for it. Uh, And that's right now the best we can hope for is making an elective. I think it's important to understand that one of the reasons parents might feel hesitation or not wanting their kids to have a textbook of this kind is because they don't understand what's in it. They haven't looked at it. It's not about sex. It's about reproductive health. We have cardiac health. We have pulmonary health. We have mental health. We have, you know, um, physical health. And this is another system, reproductive health. It's just that under that system, we have you know, mental health issues, we have nutritional health issues, we have uh, drug abuse and misuse, we have sexual coercion and, and, and harassment and the understanding of consent. And yeah, we do. We talk about sexually transmitted infections and diseases. We talk about contraception. We talk about reproductive anatomy and physiology, but all of this falls under that system of reproductive health. And when they start realizing that reproductive health is everything that you are, everything that you do, because of the biological, psychological, and sociological triangle, it's not scary. It's just a state of being. And that's why we're here today, is to explain to people that this is not scary. It is science and education. It is not about sex. It's life. It's life. And when I, what I would say, too, is that, that parents aren't usually the obstacle. I think it really has more to do with the school board and the administration at any given school who think parents are going to be a problem. People hear this topic and they assume parents don't want their kids to have it. So they say, no, we're not going to do that. Our parents will be up in arms. But if you actually talk to the parents, which I do on a regular basis at parent-teacher conferences and 14 years of teaching, I've talked to a lot of parents and most parents want this. They really do. They want their kids to learn it from somebody in a school who knows what they're talking about because they don't have the skills or knowledge to teach their kids. And so they do want it in the schools, but the assumption is that they don't. So it's the school boards and the administration that make that assumption and say, no, we don't want to have that here. Before we wrap up today and explore what we're covering for the rest of this series, I'm sure there's someone listening right now, probably an educator who says, I need this textbook for my classroom. Um, How can they get a textbook like this in their classroom? Well, they can either email me or they can email Mandy um, or they can call us at 970-667-9906. My email address is Betsy, that's B-E-T-S-Y, at, and then it's L-K-B-T-H-W-I-S dot org. So essentially look both ways without the vowels. So Betsy at lookbothways.org and it's Mandy at lookbothways.org or call they can even Google us at lookbothways.org and order it online. Perfect. And for parents, is this a textbook that might be useful for them to give to their child, even if it's not being presented in class? Absolutely. We, we actually, when we do our parent workshops, we actually give the copy of this textbook to parents. Um, so any parent that's taken a workshop with us has a copy of this to has a, have as a resource at their house for themselves to answer questions or to give to their own children as a resource. 
Another resource is this podcast here called It's Not Human Sexuality. So, Dr. Betsy, can you lay it down? Let me know what else is going on in this podcast. Sure. We're going to hit some high notes about um, chapters from our book. Uh, We start off, our next episode is from Chapter 2. It's Anatomy and Physiology, and that's Reproductive Anatomy and Physiology. Uh, Episode 3 comes out of Chapter 6. We're looking at um, the biology of sex, assigned gender, gender identity, and the concept of gender. And then Episode 4 comes out of Chapter 6, continuing with sexual identity and sexual behavior, because they're not the same thing. And we'll wrap up um, with Episode 5, which comes out of Chapter 8, which is adolescent behaviors and, and what what we can look forward to through puberty. And then our final episode will be uh, Mandy and I just sort of doing a Q&A about questions that she has gotten in the classroom, questions I've gotten in the classroom, and kicking around some stories about, you know, what is around that. So we hope you'll, you'll join us. If I am, you know, a young person, I'm a high schooler, what could I expect? Um, what would be helpful for me to listen in this podcast? All of it. I think um, all of the things that we're going to talk about um, will bring a reality to what you may be feeling or maybe what you think you're feeling or experiencing or maybe what a friend is going through. Um, it's it's going to be very informative. It's It won't be dry at all. There'll be a lot of stories around it, but it's going to be very real. And so some of the topics might surprise you or some of the language or some of the things that we're actually being straightforward about like masturbation and uh, teen pregnancy and uh, sexual coercion that's that you know you have to be ready for that but it's very real and for the parents out there or the aunts and uncles or whomever might have um, youth in their life um, what can they expect to to gain from listening to this podcast I think they're going to get a basic understanding of what our youth are really wanting in education and how they want people to talk to them. I think they're going to see that these topics aren't scary and that these topics are necessary. And I think most importantly, what they, what we need to ask ourselves as a society is when we learn this information, what are we afraid of? Why, why are we getting in the way of people learning this? Are we afraid that suicide will go down? Are we afraid that bullying rate will go down? Are we afraid that eating disorders will disappear? Are we afraid that teen pregnancy numbers will plummet? I mean, really, what are we afraid of? I think that's the important question. And I think they'll learn that through these podcasts. Everybody who works with youth is going to work with somebody who identifies as LGBT or Q. Um, Everybody who works with youth is going to identify with somebody or, or know somebody who has an eating disorder. So the, the topics that we cover in this are beneficial for anybody who works with you. Right. And I know as a producer, there is a lot of interesting terminology coming up um, about LGBTQIA and all the acronyms and uh, terms that we may have heard or been exposed to over the years. So if you're just curious about what these things mean and you want to be informed and um, not offend anyone sometimes it's important to learn the topics and vernacular coming up in these future episodes so i've been hannah copeland today in the future of the podcast i'm going to step it out and give it to these wonderful women who will be educating us i'd like to thank dr betsy cairo for joining us for this first episode today it's been a pleasure thank you and thank you so much mandy johnson for coming in today and helping us co-host the rest of it's not human sexuality thank you hannah it's been great 
next time on It's Not Human Sexuality. What I really want people to understand is the importance of using correct terminology and language when we do talk about reproductive anatomy and physiology. You totally forgot about the Oh my God. <laughs> if that's a pee-pee, then your eye is a blink-blink, your mouth is a taste-taste, and your elbow is a bend-bend. Yeah, because if you want to see the vagina, you need two hands and a flashlight. Oh, we're doing male anatomy in this episode. <laughs> yeah, you're going to try. <laughs> what was that? Well, that's the foreskin. In the past, we didn't wear clothes and we were naked running through the bush and if you caught your bush on a bush you were protected now that pre-cum can also contain sperm betsy right oh of course you can break your penis well no i wasn't i was thinking <laughs> well we were talking what about happens that. if a man has a vasectomy so when the media says vagina or don't look at my vagina or i'm gonna bedazzle my vagina they really mean vulva <gasps> <laughs> so it's best to have a condom on before pre-cum. Exactly. That's all ahead on episode two of It's Not Human Sexuality. For more episodes and information, go to lkbthwis.org.